The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, a couple things to talk to you about. First, the Listener League, a couple spots left. Don't wait to get in. Give a rating review on iTunes, wherever you listen, and grab a spot in the Listener League. Also, if you can just leave a rate and review, if you don't even want to be in the Listener League, I'd much appreciate it. would help out a ton. And go check out the Fantasy Black Book. I do the catchers and relief pitcher previews. There's 10 of us in there doing all the positions, strategies, prospects, so much more. Relative positional value. RPV is Joe's specialty. It's the 10th year of the Fantasy Black Book. And right now, it's the Fantasy Cares Week. St. Jude's Children's Hospital. All pro, uh, Not all, but portions of the proceeds go to the St. Jude's Children's Hospital. So go check that out on Amazon and iTunes, the Fantasy Baseball Black Book. But for now, welcome to Bench with Bubba, episode 244, MLB Moving Average. It's a great one. Enjoy. everybody to another episode of benched with bubba episode 245 got a special one on tap first time guest to the show you can find his work over at the athletic we love the athletic on bench with bubba lots of great stuff there find him on twitter at mlb moving average avg john how we doing my friend i am coming out of my chair right now big time baby mom look <laughs> at me i'm on bench with bubba yes i love it i'm so so pumped to have you I I, uh, I wish I would record the whole conversation we had with good back and forth. I always say that with like most of my guests. If I could just record the whole thing, it'd be great. But um, it, I am so looking forward to chatting with you. Your work is outstanding. Um, your, your Twitter presence is great, and the, you know I, I got to know you in the last year or so. But uh, fun presence in the community. So looking forward to chatting it up with you. Just real quick, plug away the athletic and your Twitter, and we'll get to your article in a second. All right. Thank you so so much. Um, first things first, home base was always will be the Twitter machine. You know, a lot of great free stuff going on there. Like you said, at MLB moving averages, please follow along and get at me. immediately. All 
right, all right. That, I mean, batting ninth in, you know, one of the great lineups out there. Uh, yeah. Also, I'm doing the Turn Crew podcast with a good friend of mine, Matt Williams, and it's really been great. We've had, uh, we just had Derek Van Riper on, and uh, it's super exciting. It's taking off. Uh, let's go, man. Let's go. <laughs> let's do it. Yeah, the podcast is good. Uh, I heard there's a rumor I might be on there in a couple of weeks, so just throwing that out yes. there. Yes. So. That, that 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 might be happening as well, but uh, let's get into it. You've had a couple articles come out so far at the Athletic, and we're going to hit on both. We're going to start with your your one that's kind of taken the the, the Twitterverse, the fantasy baseball world by storm, introducing hard minus soft rate, and it's fun because with all the good websites we have, with all the baseball savant and the hard hits, the soft hits, the fan graphs, they're everywhere, and it's really fun to see where great minds like yourself can take things, and it sounds kind of you know, I don't want to downplay. It sounds simple at first. You're saying, let's see what hard minus soft does. But what you determined with this is awesome. The way it correlates, the way you can look at it for ADP. Let's start from the beginning. What made you look at hard minus soft rate and what kind of was the beginning of the whole process? Well, thank you for all the awesome kind words and do not feel ashamed whatsoever. My brilliance is usually in its simplicity. The few and far between glimpses of brilliance I do show are usually really very simple. Um, you know, where it kind of started is where everybody's kind of going, right? Where it's like you said, it's a new age. There's a lot of new statistics out there. So as we find them, we're testing their usefulness and how they can be applied and, you know, maybe how they work in accordance or a combination with each other. So I, I was kind of thinking to myself, you know, something like uh, K-minus walk rate just soared, right? Forever we were talking about K-rate and always walk rate. And then they kind of came together and became this this totally different entity, you know, that people really started using and it's, a, it's very effective. So that's kind of where it started along those lines of thinking of like, you know, stat combinations, you know, what can I stick together? Then you start looking at, you know, exit velocity, which is always all the rage in this new stat cast error. And you see, of course, that, you know, exit velocity is um, related to slugging, of course, inversely, right, as – oh, no, I'm sorry, directly as the exit velocity goes down, so does the slugging. But I was wondering to myself why we had that 95-mile-per-hour benchmark. You know, it's kept specifically on the StatCast page. And it turns out, you know, it, it's really, really, really tied to slugging. Um, so any any ball hit over 100 miles an hour, right off the bat, the expected slug is over 1,000. So – that's great. That's why we want players that hit the ball hard. Just between 95 and 100, it drops to 656. Below 95, it drops to 372. And then below 87, 277, and it goes all the way down to your soft rollers that are around 200. So when I picked up on this relation, I thought to myself, wow, not only do we need to know, um, and remember, it's going to be both at the same time, which hitters hit the ball the hardest the most, and, you know, conversely, which pitchers are able to limit hard hit the most. We also want to know about soft hitting rate, right? Which pitchers induce soft hits the most because, again, they're tied to that very low slugging percentage. So I thought to myself, again, it's not to reinvent the wheel and it's it's not, you know, to be used as a, as a standalone kind of metric to draft alone by. But... I wondered if hard minus soft could give us a new perspective similar to K minus walk as part of that, um, you know, I call it a contact spread metric, right? So when we're determining a pitcher's contact profile, part of that was always hard hit rate. But now I feel like 
Hardman is soft, really could become kind of an integral part of it. But yeah, I, think no. that, I think that's my I think that's my answer in a million words or less. No, I, I like that. And and I think it's it's very enlightening because it seems like majority of the work we see out there, it's we're all excited because you know, as they said in the nineties, chicks dig the long ball. We're excited about the hard hit rate, which leads, you know, the barrels, which leads to home runs and so on and so forth. We've seen that. We don't focus enough on the hard and soft rates of pitchers. So this is really intriguing because we've started to look at different angles to analyze pitchers. Like you said, K to walk percentage is tremendous. We see it everywhere. But what you you, what you brought to the table, I like for a couple of reasons, obviously, because it, it correlates what we get to with ERA and other things. But I like the fact that it doesn't just tell you – hey, this guy gives up a lot of hard contact. You shouldn't like this guy. It also correlates how much soft contact and give you a ratio, which makes you realize, you know, it's almost like the old theory, what goes up must comes down. You know, a lot of hard hit balls, he also has a lot of soft contact, which in due time will will, will level out. And that's where the correlation comes from. Because like one named Austin Voth, who's like a sneaky sleeper out there, sure, he gives up 33% hard contact, which it's still kind of around a little below league average around that area. But still, it's higher than you might want. But the fact he gives up almost 24% soft contact gives him a good correlation of hard to soft. So it gives you a different way to evaluate it. You're not kind of focusing on just hard hit guys, just soft guys. It gives you kind of a, a balanced pitcher because, as you know, John, when you're when you're watching a guy pitch, you know, five, six, seven innings, there's a roller coaster out there. He can give up three runs on three solo shots but still strike out 10. It's a balancing act. So when you look at this, what what do you see the correlations going with? You mentioned ERA and some other things. What are you noticing that, that with this uh, this new stat? Okay, well, yeah. First, you you did a great job of of kind of framing it, right? It's it's just a piece of it, and it's just another perspective. But you know, it's it's it, it's a good one, right? It's good. It's a mm-hmm. good perspective to have when you're adding in um, kind of multiple thoughts at once, you know, to kind of give you an answer towards a goal. Which I know, like you said, it really a lot of it seems kind of intuitive and simple, but I guess a lot of great ideas, you know, that could be said about. I, I um, prefer idea. I prefer ideas that are simple, so that's why yeah, I love yeah, this. Yeah. <laughs> as far as okay, as far as correlation, we really got to be careful because you know the uh, before the Twitterverse gets at us over this. <laughs> as far as correlating to ERA, very few things correlate to ERA whatsoever. I don't think anything does well, which is why we have such a hard time nailing it down. For example, um, something like XFIP, which is probably the closest as far as I know, probably correlates at about like 0.30, something like that, which is not really considered strong at all. Again, like I said, which is why we have such a hard time nailing it down. So the correlation for eight, um, hard minus soft to ERA is seems, at least from, the, from one year, of course, there's a lot of testing now with all these new things. We're going to go year over year and look for stabilization and stuff. There's a couple of people already working on it. Um, but... I I could not help but notice, even if it's not correlated, there is certainly an inverse relationship that is undeniable with, like I said, the hard minus soft rate and ERA. As I'm looking at the leaderboard, I couldn't help but think, you know, again, you know, sometimes a good list is going to have good players at the top, which mm-hmm. this one this one does, right? Right at the top, if you're looking at it by the percentage itself. You know, Eduardo Rodriguez is right at the top. Tyler Glass now, Noah Syndergaard, Jacob DeGrom. That's a very strong top four. Mm-hmm. You know, and then our boy Voth was, was right behind him in front of guys like Strasburg and Maeda, Giolito, Wheeler, Cease. You know, oh, and you get to guys like Cease and you say, wow, you know, this is a guy who kind of struggled in his first time out. 
But this is a good example of kind of what you asked, how can we apply this? And I think like a lot of new metrics, it could be good at pointing out outliers, right? So a guy that ends up on the top 15 of this list, it's not a definite sleeper. It's not a slam dunk for 2020. However, it is certainly a place to begin some research for me. And these are guys that you should expect a very positive contact profile from, Bubba. No, I like that. that that's one thing that points out because, like you said, the top guys, Erod, who I absolutely love this year, uh, Glassnow, Cindergaard, DeGrom, these are guys for the most part, if we're trying to differentiate between picks, we're grasping at straws because they're going to be pretty good. We're, but we're now pretty what about Cindergaard? Don't you feel like he's gotten so much slack? that? And this stack right? could so help, this, yes. It helps. This helps me feel confident. Yes. Again, I'm not flying him on my boards. I don't make any gigantic moves based on any single stat. But mm-hmm. as people are trying to figure out about this, this disaster that was Thor's 2019, I think it just might have been a really tough start. He struggled with mm-hmm. the seams, and then he really wasn't as bad as we think he was. So for those people kind of jumping ship on Syndergaard, I might say to take another look. No, and that's a very, very good point. That, that's, that's a great idea. Maybe it does help you kind of take it to the next level. Like if you're on the fence, you see something like this, it, it could point you the right direction. Uh, I do like that. Uh, maybe something that I, I am questioning because I have a feeling, like you said, people are working on it. They have ideas and, and taking it back multiple years. And, and every good stat that you, or metric that you start out with, there's always future developments of that metric. Is there maybe something down the road where you can maybe think of like a splits leaderboard, like first half, second half, where you can pick different time periods? Like maybe his hardest soft rate for the first two months was this, and then he changed his pitch mix. And then all of a sudden, his hard to soft change to this. Is that something that might be down the line? Yeah, absolutely. And the specific answers to those questions will come with testing. But the broad answer is absolutely it's going to be improved upon. I have to admit, man, as a kind of a modest dude, the interactions and like the feedback has been incredible. And I've had some pretty established players already tell me that they're looking forward to using this in the future. So aside from that being a tremendous compliment, I was already on kind of what you're talking about, improving it. And to be honest, I feel like I feel like I already found kind of a, a pretty decent flaw in it that I'm going to have to rectify immediately. And I don't want to do think I misled or used any incorrect information. I didn't. However, upon a separate set of tests and kind of research, I think I probably should have used a stat cast hard hit rate. Opposed to the fan graphs hard hit rate, the reason I use fan graphs is because it was a constant, right? I used the fan graphs hard hit and the fan graphs soft hit, so the accounting I knew would be consistent, and I wouldn't have to worry about overlapping, you know, and screwing up the results. That I knew I could at least give a true answer of at least fan graphs accounting. But like I said, as I've researched hard, there's differences in hard hit rates. It really looks like we want. StatCast, because using baseball information solutions, they appear to account for more of the noise that we'd like to remove. Yes. Um, you know, infield fly balls, I believe, are counted as fly balls. And I know they definitely account for exit velocity and, um, you know, uh, launch angles and stuff. Mm-hmm. So those really mattering. This probably could use a quick once over as a 2.0 with the StatCast metric with a little bit of a tease. It'll be coming very soon. And that's that's a point that I was wondering about as well, because the one thing that works is as long as you used it all from fan grass, it still should correlate pretty well. Like I'm not going to be concerned about that. You might have a few guys change a little bit, but overall I think we're going to be in the same ballpark here with, with these numbers. 
uh, it's funny you mentioned the differences because a lot of people don't know those differences, but they are because StatCast, you know, they use the ballpark feeds. The, the You know, you mentioned infield fly balls. Well, on StatCast, that's a pop-up. It's like its own category and goes into its own little world. Uh, they have flares and burners and all those different things. I remember one time I asked, uh, I sent Jeff Zimmerman a message because I was trying to wrap my head around when I'm researching on Baseball Savant and then I look over to Fangrass and they don't match up. And he says, well, the easiest way I can explain it is Fangrass, it's telling you how hard they think they hit it, where StatCast has an actual measurement. That's kind of the rough idea. So it's maybe more fine-tuned over on Savant. Both very solid tools, obviously. Yeah. So yeah. I think you're, well, I think you're still going to be just fine. Would, would you like to share some of that with your readers? I know, uh, again, this is information I'm staring at right now because I scraped that because I already dove down mm-hmm. that rabbit hole and kind of got stuck in it. No, it's um, fine. All right, so since... Since, at least in my humble opinion, StatCast is probably the more valuable because they're removing, you know, individual events that mm-hmm. we wouldn't want counted. Okay, that's my that's my Cliff Notes understanding of them. However, I would say the caveat is I use both of them always. Do yes. not discard metrics or stats because you don't like what they say. But mm-hmm. just to get to a couple people that I have spoke about before, um, there are a couple of very fantasy-relevant hitters that have tremendous discrepancies in these two metrics. And in the case where we're weighing stat cast more heavily, meaning these players are kind of being, I don't want to say shortchanged by Fangrass, but just saying their, their hard hit rates look a lot worse on Fangrass than they do on stat cast. Some of the largest differences. Okay, Bo Bichette, obviously in, immensely relevant this season. Mm-hmm. 32.6% on fan graphs, which is very low. I mean, very low, opposed to 43.5%, which is very yeah. high for StatCast. Um, somebody like Raphael Devers is like that. He has a 10% difference. You know, so if you're looking at fan graphs and you're worried about Devers' hard hit rate, you know, StatCast would kind of disagree. The next names in a row, you know, so this is the greatest differences. So, I mean, like I'm saying, these are relevant guys. Devers, Eloy Jimenez. Kyle Schwaber, Yohan Moncada, all have between eight and a half and ten percent differences, and it's because of launch angles, right? Their launch yep. angles are all generally low. Schwaber having the highest of fifteen, um, you know, Moncada is like twelve, and you figure Eloy is below ten. So launch angle is at the crux of the difference between the two measurements. Definitely, that's why it's just something that's fun to talk about as you dig in. To all the different tools we have out there, all the great tools we have, you can see the different levels of how to analyze things. And um, I don't think it's going to really change things a lot with what you're doing here. Uh, we might see a few differences here and there, but when it comes to pitchers, I think we're going to be a lot like hitters. I can see the vast difference. Pitchers, you're going to be more in the ballpark for sure. And um, when looking at these stats, you you have them, you know, the top 25, you have the bottoms and all that good stuff and how they, you know, you think they – they might might look to ERAs and might look to, to all these different stats. If you're using this 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 leaderboard, the the Google Sheets, all that stuff, how would you approach this for like a fantasy aspect going into your fantasy draft? Is it just another tool like we mentioned with Syndergaard of hey, if I'm on the fence, I want to use it, or are you um, are you putting into like a projection system? How are you going about this? Well, I I tend to um, analyze players in baskets. So let's talk about pitching, right? We're talking about pitching right now. So let's stick with pitching. I would, I have a basket of, you know, let's call it like a surface stat and earn run indication basket, right? So they were looking at, 
uh, ERA, FIP, XFIP, you know, whip, right? Then I like to think of a disciplinary basket, right? So that's your walks and strikeout metrics plus your O and Z metrics, you know, swinging strikes, all, all of those kind of disciplinary metrics. And then the last one is let's call it like a, a batted ball metric, right? So this would be where your stat cast, your hard hit rates, and and this would fall. Um, like I said, you mentioned it before, what I like about it is that it's unique in it actually is considering those soft hit balls, which are really good to induce. You know, it's something we may have overlooked altogether as an industry. Being a league leader in induced soft contact is really great, right? That gets you at innings and, you know, can relieve a lot of, a lot of angst out there when you're on the hill. As far as using it for fantasy purposes, Bubba, I really think you, you nailed it. Um, I, like any other leaderboard, I want to look at each individual column, the highest and the lowest, to look for outliers. As simple as that sounds, and then hopefully have that launch another you know step in my analysis. Like I said, no one at the leaderboard, I'm going to say, oh, jump and get him. But listen, Eduardo Rodriguez being at the top of this contact profile – that makes him a little more tempting maybe for me oh, yeah. where I don't think I was thinking of him in, in that light. hundred percent with you. Like I, I was big on Erod, like I said, coming into the year. And then when I see it stand out like that, I'm like, Oh boy, that is enticing as all get up. So I, I'm a big fan of seeing something like that. And some of the other names, like, like I mentioned, Austin Voth earlier is a very popular one out there. Dylan Cease, you know, I've talked about him on a couple other shows The controls an issue, but the fact that when he does, you know, find the zone is soft contact level helps out with a lot of things. So it's just really interesting looking at the back and forth in these and, and using it kind of as another tool. Like you said, there's no one tool that should be your, your end all be all. It's a good one to incorporate. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing how some of these great minds like yourself start making spreadsheets. And, you know, Alex Fast from Pitcher List last year created CSW. Now that's incorporated in a lot of things. You mentioned K to walk percentage. I could see this sitting right there with those as another deal to kind of you know differentiate different players and i wouldn't be shocked if future projection systems kind of look at it um when we look at these we, we mentioned erod and some others were there any other surprises on the good side of things when, when you when you broke this down they're like oh man this guy's on this list like you know you got rick porcello's up here at, at number 20 which for many people clown on porcello but run reason he's successful i think is the soft contact were there any guys that stood out to you well um, I've been selling myself slowly on the very boring Kyle Hendricks, which I, I guess we maybe we're going to circle back to later, but his name kind of stuck out for me. And believe it or not, I can't believe that I'm saying this in front of people, <laughs> but Dylan Bundy yep. is growing on me. Oh my God. I feel so dirty saying that, <laughs> but Dylan Bundy's really growing on me. You know, I've been, um, I've been kind of looking deep into it, you know, as prices begin to move. And guys who were able to get very late in drafts are no longer available. We need new late players to take those spots. And his name has been popping up in a couple places. Mm-hmm. And I really like to see that. I didn't realize for being in Camden um, how effective he was at limiting hard contact on the, I mean, with below 32%, which is excellent. Yeah, putting him in a new ballpark, I think it's going to do big things for Dylan Bundy. So I like that. But, yeah, there's there's a few names here that really – really get your attention. Now, when you flip it over to the other side of things, the not so good, yeah. obviously Edwin Jackson, Adrian Sampson, shocker. Right no where they shocker belong, right? right where they belong. Yeah, yeah so that, that's what a good list. I was about if, to say, that's if, when you know, that's when you know the stats good. <laughs> right, right. That's, that was my first, that was my first confirmation. The first thing to validate my work 
was that Edwin Jackson and Adrian Sampson were firmly at the bottom of this list of, you know, 200 plus pitchers where they belong. Yep. I totally agree with that. Now there's some other ones that um, aren't too surprising, but there's some that maybe stand out to you. Were there any names when looking at the bottom where you're like, Ooh, I maybe want yeah, to reconsider oh, things. Absolutely. The, the number one man, and this really stinks because I feel like I'm getting, I feel like I'm getting the reputation for being anti Bieber fever here, but I just got a call that like I see it. And the fact that, you know, Shane Bieber's contact profile is pretty poor. Yep. You know, it's really poor. He has a plus 42 and a half hard hit rate. I mean, that's not good. And a 13.3% soft induce rate, which is also really not good. I mean, I know that he has the the strikeout pitch, right? And that has always kind of, you know, bailed him out. Listen, and great pitchers strike players out, and I kind of get that. But I know I was even looking at the uh, at the expected stats on that, and I think his expected walk rate, which is generally elite, and I understand throughout his his career it, it has been, you know. So I'm not trying to say that he's going to turn into a walk machine. My argument against some of what he did last year was that 4.5 walk percent walk rate came. It was a 7.4 percent expected walk rate. So that's probably like 150 percent of the original. And that's a that's a little bit problematic for me. And also, as far as the expected rates, his expected K rate was three percent lower than his actual. So you know, just to, again, I'm not trying to say the guy is not good. It's our job as analysts to be pulling these little micro threads right when we're trying to differentiate at the very, very, very top. So it's not that I'm trying to knock him like I'm saying, but even you know, how about the the woba? His woba on contact. Me and Bubba. Love bacon, I know that. Yes, yep. The 375 whoa bacon was actually a 409 expected whoa bacon. That's scary. So scary. All of the expected stats are a pretty hefty percentage, you know, skewed in the wrong direction. Now, again, these do not guarantee or portend the future, you know, at all. They do not predict the future. However, that has been you know, my problems so when you're saying, you know, again, I think, Bubba, I think this really ties into everything, right? You're getting a look at how, yeah, I'm not just saying Bieber's on the on the, this list and therefore he's no good. It's, all right, Bieber is kind of standing out as a problem in the contact profile. All right, I went over to the disciplinary profile and, man, there was some problems there, right? And then when we looked at the uh, weighted on base average on contact, there were some problems there in the batted ball profile. Mm-hmm. So he has some red flags for me and it's, I mean, I'm not going to own any Bieber again, not because I don't like him and not because I don't think he's a, he's a very good bet for 200 innings. Both of those things I believe are true. However, I can't take him over, let's say Clevenger, or I even think Blake Snell, you know, who also is at the very top of this contract, this contact metric. And I think his injury, which was fluky, he easily bounces back from. And that that's, Beautifully said. Like, absolutely great. Because that's been – before I even saw this metric, which kind of makes me feel a little better and warm and fuzzy inside, I have nothing against Shane Bieber. I think he's very successful. It's amazing what he's doing. I have always looked at his contact and his overall hit profile, and I just can't wrap my head around what he's doing. I just can't. I know there's very brilliant pitching minds that have tried to explain it. And every time I, I listen, I agree. And then I look at these type of things, and I'm like, well, explain this part to me. And it just doesn't doesn't make sense, like you said, when a Clevenger or a Snell or someone's right by him. And again, that's where this tool can be very helpful. If you if you're having that tough decision and you're on the fence on a couple guys, 
maybe this helps you go a different direction. Yes, like, thank you. Uh, yeah, you, 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 and, you, yes, thank you for verbalizing that. Yes, no, no problem. Like Andrew Heaney is a very popular name. He is one of the worst on this list. One of the worst. So I'm not saying he's gonna be a bad pitcher, and it could it could be a factor that he lives high in the zone with his fastball. That is a dangerous thing to do in the bouncy ball era. Very dangerous because if you just miss by a scotch, a professional hitter can hit a fastball. They're gonna hit it a long way. So that that's something to think about. Like Bumgarner, there's some interesting names down here besides the obvious Edwin Jacksons of the world that make you take a step back. Like Bumgarner leaving Oracle Park with a hit profile like this, maybe gives you a little little moment of concern. So it's something I'm looking forward to seeing where it continues to develop. It's a great, great uh, stat to start with for sure. I'm looking forward to where it comes, and uh, it'll be fun to chat with you on this again when you have your uh, 2.0 come out here in the future. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. All right, let's go to the next stat. This is fun. You, you slid into the DMs the other day because I did the BARF draft where it's a quality start league. It's the only quality start league I do. I, I we talked about it for a while. I can see the appeal of quality starts because wins can be finicky. You know, a guy just has to go five innings. His team can win thirteen to ten. He gives up nine runs and somehow he gets a W. That's garbage. Like that's just garbage. Yeah. At the same time, a quality start, like you said, and I agree with six innings, three earned run qualifies for a quality start. That's a four point five ERA. That is garbage as well. So what you developed is the money start, the quality money start, this whole uh, great thing that I love the idea of it because I've tried to think of ways, you know, like you like eight innings, three earned, seven innings, two earned, six innings, one earned. I've always thought that's a good idea. I've never been able to put it on paper the way you did. Why don't you enlighten us on what your money start is and kind of the basis of it all? Okay, really, you know, this kind of comes from my heart. And, uh, you know, it's funny, man. I love to tie in all the kind of relevant topics of, of the time and it goes back to believe it or not Bubba don't don't cringe don't cringe with me it goes back to the conversation that you had that in, on Twitter about you know whole leaguers and NFBC you know yes. and it's funny I like to think of myself as the buffer between the two and an ambassador between all of them because I'm a home leaguer at heart and mm-hmm. let me tell you my experience with home leaguers is they are sharp they are intense and they may only have one league, but they are obsessed and they're very mm-hmm. smart and they care a lot about winning. And aside from that, um, if I could give home leaguers a little more credit, I feel like they're the most willing to change. In my own home league, we've gone through several scoring changes. It's a head-to-head points league. Because again, you know, listen, Roto is great. It's like the purest game, right? It's like baseball itself. But Sunday in May is pretty lame when you're playing Roto. It doesn't matter. You can go outside a Sunday in May in head to head could be determining the division and really the overall standings for the whole year. It's tremendous. You know, there's a Mm -hmm. tremendous amount of pressure weekly and it makes it a lot of fun. So that being said, I have a lot of, you know, emotion, not only money invested in my points leagues, but, you know, shout out to all those people at home that really love it. You know, NFBC is great. And I truly do believe the best players in the world play there, but that doesn't mean great players are not found outside. That being said, that's where it came from, right? I was in my home league and we wanted to be the best. We want our league to be the most fairest and the most reflective of quality fantasy baseball GMing. I mean, which is basically the purest place that it could come from. Um, like you said, wins are extremely wonky. They're very frustrating and they don't seem to reward what we're looking for. So some people in their own wisdom, right, made the shift to quality start. I think that's the beginning of we where we need to end up but I, like I said, I only think it's the beginning because, again, it's very flawed. You touched on the obvious bubble, which is true, that you're able to get a quality start with a four and a half ERA, which is just about a 50th percentile 
uh, run allowed, which is not very good. The other side of the equation, you know, there is a distance profile, which I guess maybe people are not as aware of. Um, and I went back three years, so it's about 15,000 starts. So it's a pretty good sample. Uh, it's just under 50% also. Um, you know, I counted pitchers that starters that went six innings regardless of earned runs because six innings is six innings if we're looking for distance. So we're talking about a 50 percentile earned run average and a 50th percentile distance profile to try and reward the best starts on a per game basis. So that's pretty much the end of the argument there. It's a terrible way to do that. So I needed to <laughs> set out better, right? I wanted to make it better. Initially, it was only going to be in two sections, but where I failed, because what I tried to do was I separated, man, I went on the, on the game index and I separated every single income uh, outcome at every combination. Six innings, six and a third, six and two thirds with zero, one, 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 and I tallied up all the totals. I tallied up how many times each of those translated into wins. So I used the occurrence and the win conversion percentage in accordance to build the new tiers. The reason I went through all that is because it would have been a lot simpler in two tiers. However, I was determined to have the top tier also imply distance. It was really important to me to know how many guys had these seven inning starts. It was super frustrating for somebody like me who talks a thousand miles a minute. I think just as fast and I'm compulsive. I want this information and I want it now. And it's not anywhere to be found. We only have quality starts, which there's no detail on. If you're lucky, a site has quality starts listed yep. as total and so that's hard to find so yeah, hard to find and if you do find them it really doesn't it really doesn't do much for you no. because I'm saying the quality start stat as currently instituted covers it covers way too many outcomes you can't possibly mm-hmm. use a single description for so many outcomes where it's the 50th percentile in earned runs and distance and then the very 99th percentile you know for the guy that goes you know nine inning complete game shutout that's the same scoring so i chopped it up into into three into three levels the reason like i said i went into that was because in the middle tier believe it or not this is just somebody for you know those real numbers people to chew on and i know a lot of the point lead players especially that i've run into have been super really interested in how these numbers translate that one of the highest conversion rates for winning believe it or not is actually six innings pitched with no earned runs allowed now obviously it's intuitive that no earned runs helps you win I will admit as myself, and I admitted literally a somewhat smart guy, I thought that that was not enough. I didn't think you went far enough to ensure yourself a win. And I have the number right here. It's roughly like 74% of the time. That's a lot. You know, that's a that's a that's one of the highest win conversion percentages on the entire board. So I kind of feel bad and I apologize to you, six inning pitch, no earn run. But I had to put you in the middle tier because we really wanted to separate, like I said, and I hope it doesn't sound kind of campy or cheesy, but the money start, right? The guy you want to say the guy went out and gave you a money start by my new parameters, and especially if we were assigning point values then having another tier doesn't hurt at all, right? So, Bubba, let me ask you, what, what do you normally get? Anywhere between four and eight points for a quality start if it's a point league, right? right? Yeah, give, give or take, league. yeah. So maybe if we're going to institute this for point leagues, maybe a quali- maybe the money start gets you seven, maybe the plus quality start gets you four. Okay. You know? and, and maybe I would be, to be completely honest, me being now I'm a quality start snob, I think I might scratch that bottom tier altogether. The bottom tier consists of six 
plus, right? So anytime I say mm-hmm. six, uh, 6.0, it includes six plus. So um, six plus innings with two or three or seven innings with three. Maybe I should have, maybe I should have worked the tiers down from the top bubble. You know what? Let me, let me do that real quick. And I think I th- hopefully you and everyone else will see how it's interesting because the math kind of aligned with the results and reality here to kind of give us like a very neat, it's a very mm-hmm. neat structure. And I hope that helps people understand it. Cause I know it can be a little intimidating. Um, people have said, how am I going to remember it? So it's almost like you don't really have to memorize anything. It kind of makes sense. All you need yep. to do is know that a quality start, you can't have more than three earned runs. So a money start starts at nine innings pitched. You can go up to three earned runs. Or eight innings pitched, you can go up to two earned runs. Or seven innings pitched, you can go up to one earned run. Nice and neat. Every time you lose an inning, you lose a run. Or, conversely, every time you pitch an extra inning beyond six, you're allowed to surrender one more. That seems pretty great to me. Now we're talking about a stat where a money start is seven innings pitched with no or one earned runs. Mm-hmm. that's the statistic that I'm interested in because those are the per starts. Those are the single starts, I should say, that really move the needle. You know, those are weak mm-hmm. winners in court leagues and, and Roto as well, because that's a, that's ratio goal. You know, Bubba? Yeah. hundred percent with you. That's why I love this. It's, it's something that I tried to wrap my head around for a while. A, I love the point that you mentioned. It's just so hard to find anything on quality starts out there. It's annoying as I'll get up. And second, the quality start is a uh, not the greatest of stats. Nice way I put it. Uh, so I like the idea of mixing it up. I like the fact that the money quality start. It's an elite outing. It's a very very good outing. It rewards a solid pitcher, and it also rewards you. So maybe you want to take Degrom or Cole early because they probably I, I haven't you know dug in that deep. They're probably a lot of money quality start guys because you know they go seven plus innings a lot and their ERAs are so low. So it gives you an extra push. It increases their fantasy value. Um, but at the same time, you're not discounting the guys that do plus quality starts. You know, you know, six or six innings with just zero or one, it's still a good outing. It's not as garbage as the three or in run rule. Um, six innings at zero or one gives you something to kind of a baseline there. Seven innings, two earned runs. Still a very, very good start, giving your team a chance to win. I think that's why the quality start bugs me so much. If you go six innings and three earned runs, there's a good chance you don't even leave with a W in that game. Yeah, or these really up- to be rewarded for that at all. Exactly. Not, but you know, you know who thinks you deserve those points? The guy whose pitcher just went six innings and three are <laughs> Yep, exactly, exactly. Because ask, ask, uh, you know, let's just pick a name, Marcus Stroman. Ask him if he goes six innings, three earned runs, and doesn't get the win over half of the season, and he goes to look for a contract at the end of the year. Tell me how many um you know other teams go. Hey, you did have fourteen quality starts, so that's pretty good. We'll pay you for that. Now let me. You know what's funny? I don't know if you picked him out randomly, but he's a he's a player that again with this. You know he was on the last metric also, but and now also here, Strowman is somebody that I think is going way too late. Hundred percent agree. Through this lens of the new quality start, um, you know he's he's he does it. He gives you those. You know, mm-hmm. he gives you those. There's only 25 yeah. guys that did it more than he did. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Stroman. The biggest bugaboo that people talk about Stroman is the strikeout rate. But uh, we saw with the pitch mix change in the second half, the strikeout rate improved. Maybe with the uh, Mets, they had him utilizing his, his slider more often. Uh, this year could be a nice year for him. He's going super, super cheap in drafts, as you mentioned. Uh, when we're looking at your, your leaderboard for money quality starts, 
Like I just, well, I didn't even mean to do it, but Degrom, Degrom and Cole, yes, lead the way at thirteen. But it's just kind of common. It's just kind of common sense when you think about how well they dealt. Uh, Verlander's right there, but like Ryu, Mike Miner, Flaherty, Corbin, Bauer. Some of those you get. Some of those you're just kind of like, hmm, interesting. What were there any guys that really stood out to you as kind of a surprise as money quality start pitchers when you did this? Yeah, I, I would. The, the first guy was actually Miner because. I mean, man, this is a guy like a couple of years ago. I didn't know if he's ever going to pitch again. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think I think I remember drafting him and stack, you know, stashing him on the injured list, and I didn't get anything out of him. And that was like a couple of years ago, and now he kind of rediscovered himself. And you know, he's going uh, closer to two hundred. I think I actually saw him go post two hundred. So, you know, out of you figure he had, let's you know, just look real quick. Mike Miner had thirty-two total starts. Okay, so he gave you a full season. You can't project more than that. But I, we also can't project injuries and say that all the time, right? Yes. He had 11 money starts. That's awesome. That's a, that's a shade under 35% money start rate, right? So not only did I do the nominal and the, the total rates, I also try to do a percentage. We can try and maybe catch on any outliers. And you know what? His money start rate was fifth in the whole league. So Mike Miner, especially in best ball, or, you know, um, point leagues. But, like, let me say, particularly in best ball, which I know people are drafting right now, Mike Miner is tremendous. Remember, best ball, you get all of the good, you get none of the bad. So to get those money starts, those are absolutely scorable weeks, and likely those are winning weeks. Because when, you you know, they put you so far ahead that it's just something that you really needed to know because had you just look at his standard quality start percentage or just his quality starts, you know, in general, which I guess are the same, at 16 his 50% quality start rate is not very good. Mm-hmm. It's really not very good at all. It's down, it's maybe in like the 50, maybe he's in the top 50 or so, surrounded by Brad Keller and Logan Allen. You know, that's not really where you want to be. Mm-hmm. But uh, when you pull the thread on the money part of it, when he is good, he is great. So I think that, in a, in a nutshell, is a way to apply this leaderboard. It's going to hopefully highlight the very best performances and who's doing them at a high clip. And I like that that twist on the best all format too, because it might enlighten guys like Marco Gonzalez. He, he had nine um, money starts. He, he's near the top ten in this in this range. Um, Kyle Hendricks, who we're going to talk you, about you again. He finished. He finished with four in a row, and I think five of seven. That's awesome. So he figured so something I out. Know, late. I mean, I'm going to have to die. I, mean, you know, I don't even know why I thought of that, knowing that, that I haven't done a deep dive. Well, people look forward to me on Twitter. Um, I'm going to be looking for some kind of actionable change, Bubba. I'll make sure I tag you, and uh, maybe we can get this Marco Gonzalez wagon started. Choo-choo, you know? I like I'm it. Sure. I took him I took him late in barf on Saturday. So I, and it, Because it's a quality start league. I saw he, uh, he, yeah, he great had job, something right? there. So I was happy about that. And then I love on this this chart you can look at, you know, it's got the money quality starts. It's got the quality starts plus, and then you have a, a tab quality starts plus plus the money starts. So you get a combo of the two. So at least you have an idea going into your draft. Okay, for the most part, these guys had six innings of two earned runs or less, or seven, so on and so forth of the quality there. So they're not getting blown up. Like at least every good starter, you're hoping thirty to thirty five starts. When you have a guy with fifteen plus of these, they're having a good run for you. It's like Lynn checks the box. Bieber's here. But a guy that was very kind of up and down last year and, and analysts are torn on him, Aaron Nola. He had nine money starts, nine uh, 
uh, or no, he had eight money starts and eight quality start pluses. So he had 16, which is good for like tied for fifth or sixth on this list. So just because he wasn't going super deep with no one runs, he was still putting together good outings. How are you going to utilize this list as you're kind of doing your draft prep some more? Well, I think, you know, as appealing as that seems to make Nola, and again, there is, you know, there's, there's, there are pieces to like. It, Nola in particular, after he gave us kind of a not-so-great 19, mm-hmm. unfortunately for me at least, when I look at the year-over-years, 18 kind of looks like the anomaly. You know, if you're looking at those year-over-year stack cast, everything's red in 2018, and it's not red anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So even though Nola is is Nola is definitely, a, you know, he's, he's a good pitcher, and he is near this list, man, I'd be more likely to take a guy like Miner who's near him on these lists, but is going, you know, 100 picks later. Not to say Miner is Nola. I'm not trying to go there. What I am trying to say is, where Nola is going, I, I'm a lot lower than he is than than the than the entire market is on him. Like I have I have zero Nola when I had mm-hmm. all the Nola in 18. So it's not a, I'm not against him at all. But listen, he's another guy. When he's good, he's really good. Mm-hmm. But he's a little concerning to me. So regardless of those nice amount of money starts, it, he's he's a little concerning for me, Bob. No, but I like that. That's why it's it's. I agree with a lot of the concerns there. I think it's a fun stat to at least make you maybe dig into him if you had questions on him because, okay, he did this, but let's see what brought this on. Now, when we flip it over to the not-so-good side of things, some of these names make sense. Um, Robbie Ray, for those curious at home, had zero money starts last year. He had four quality starts plus, and he's a big-time strikeout guy, but he walks so many. He doesn't go deep into games. Are there any other names that kind of stood out to you? Like Corey Kluber only had two quality start pluses, no money starts, uh, so on and so forth. Anybody that stands out to you? Let me see. You know, a lot of times, a lot of these seemed, you know, kind of intuitive. And some of the guys yeah. maybe that stick out kind of had shortened kind of seasons. But, you know, again, you want to if you if you want to double up on my stats and you're looking for red flags, there's Andrew Heaney again. So. Mm-hmm. Let's you know. Yeah, now I I have him dinged as far as contact profile, and here I have him dinged. You know, let's let's this I guess uh, quality start money. You know, the money starts I guess would fit into that initial basket I talked about, like surface and run indication. But it's not a good sign as far as a distance metric goes. You know, a lot of the guys at the bottom are probably what you'd expect. Mm-hmm. So it's not a good list to be on. So maybe I would say maybe what I'd say to you, Bob, is. Even if you don't get anything from it right now, if somebody you do like ends up on this list, it might be a tremendous red flag. Somebody I know you wanted to talk about that is on this list, that should be no surprise, which also I believe is totally being overvalued, is Denelson Lamette at San Diego. Uh, he's It's the same idea, right? He's he's too wild. His, dis, his disciplinary basket prevents him from being the pitcher that I want. Yeah, 100% agree. That's why it's, it's interesting to look at like David Price, Chris Archer, uh, some of these young guns are on this list, so it'll be fun to see how it keeps developing from here. What's your next? What's your next phase in the development of this metric and your charts and everything? Well, uh, I've also I got a lot of great responses with this. I'm going to really try to keep pushing this because this is like my baby. This I have a dream. I'm just waiting for the first home leaguer to tweet at me and say that they implemented this, and my my day is going to be made. But going forward. The best suggestion that I heard was to maybe try and incorporate strikeouts as well. 
and Ooh. maybe have like a super, you know, like a super mm-hmm. money start where if you, you know, achieve not only um, the parameters as far as runs and distance, but also a strikeout metric, let's say off the top of my head, it would be a K per nine, right? So if you went mm-hmm. seven with one run or less and seven Ks, then that's like a super money start, you know? So I think I'm going to work on that next, trying to get Ks in the mix here. I like it, and I'm looking forward to seeing what's next in the MLB moving average database of fun because you've come out with these two in the last couple of weeks. I can't wait to see what's next. Uh, let's talk about a couple of players here before we head on out. You kind of We've hit on them in roundabout weights so far, but let's go a little deeper. Mike Miner, you mentioned very popular name. Um, he's going about pick 180 over the last month on online NFBC drafts. So to some that it perceives a value – he also threw a boatload of innings last year. So what's your take on Mike Miner, who, you know, if you're looking for innings eater, might be that guy at the same time. He, he, the second half of his season was not strong. Um, Yeah, that that's true. Right. Because you know, what, what you're saying is objectively true. Um, however, I think we have to combine a few of the things you just said. And I think maybe we're going to get our answer there that I believe it was probably a bit of fatigue because although you're right. His second half was not very good. A lot of it was at the very, very, very yes, end. 100%. So he had three, his last three starts against Oakland, at Oakland, and then home versus Boston. He gave up, let's see, uh, 11 and 7 is, he gave up 18 runs in 28 innings. Um, without using an earned run calculator, that is disastrous for ratios. Yes. So, I, you know, I don't mean to, I'm like, I'm disagreeing without disagreeing because all the stuff you said is right. I think it might not be so much a bad second half as he kind of really fell off at the end. Maybe it was health. Maybe it was age. Um, I don't really know. What I do know is I love what I saw last year and especially at the price. Remember everybody, price is everything, right? So 200 Ks, very hard to beat that. Um, the 244 batting average allowed, supported by a 233 XBA. So, you know, you got to love that. The sub-400 slug came with a sub-400 X slug. The 300 Woba with a sub-300 X Woba. So a lot of the things you like to see are great. Um, you know, he he he's interesting because he allows fly balls at a pretty decent clip, you know, 40% on the nose. However, he was limiting the hard contact on those because even though he allowed a lot of fly balls – his fly ball line drive miles per hour was just at 90 miles per hour, which is really an elite rate, like probably in the top of like 10 or 12% of all starters, which is great. He's very good at limiting hard contact. Um, his stack hit hard hit rate is below 31%, like we mentioned before. In the contact profile, average EV below 87 miles per hour, only 4.8 barrels per plate appearance. So there's a real lot to like here. Again, at the price, and Bubba, not to be like a conspiracy theorist, but <laughs> are the Texas Rangers fixing people? Like, yo, I know. Oh, yeah, I'm with you. I'm this. with you. I, I don't have – I have no input aside my current assumption, right? Mm-hmm. But all I know is what I see. And I saw a very meh kind of Lance Lynn leave my mm-hmm. Yankees where he stunk up the jerk and go there and excel – Mike Miner, who the world wrote off, went there and excelled. And where I'm getting in an elliptical way with, like I said, my tinfoil hat on is, <laughs> is Kyle Gibson going to yep. be awesome? What about Jordan Lyles? Is Jordan Lyles going yep. to be awesome? Well, 
Oh my goodness. I, I just can't believe I'm a content creator. People are gonna hold me to this. My short answer is probably yes. yes. And, and, and if I if man, this is crazy. I'm going, I'm on the limb, I'm out there, it's gonna break. Hold my my big ass. Um <laughs> I think the Texas Ranger rotation may have overtaken a ro- another rotation where I saw the most value in is the Marlins. And I love the Marlins rotation piece by piece because they get no love. It was mostly a value play. Man, I think the Rangers are like the Marlins, but with a better win context. Mm-hmm. So I, I give me the Rangers guys late, man. No, I, I love that point because they, they fixed Lynn. They fixed Minor. Gibson is really not that far from being fixed. But when he uses his slider more, he's actually very good. It's just, imagine a, it's just a matter of getting him to do that. We've seen Lyles at the time look great. Uh, when you're looking at um, Lyles, he's going to pick 358. Lynn's going to pick 348. They're not costing you anything. If they don't work out, you drop them anyways. I think there's a lot to like there. Nothing to uh, – I'm with you. I, I, there's, I'm a big fan. Like, Lynn, I'm buying in on this year. I hope I'm not too late on it. I know you have to pay for him this year, but I'm a big Lynn fan. Miner's interesting when you look at his splits. Um, I, I pulled up his game log while you're talking, and then it happens to be like his his minor split difference was the all-star break. And so he could have been wearing down. First half, 117 innings, 254 ERA. Um, two seven four Woba against second half ninety one innings four nine three ERA three thirty two Woba against his K to walk rate was about the same he walked fewer but struck out fewer in the second half it, it'll be interesting to see how it keeps panning out um, also the new stadium in Texas will be climate controlled so maybe yeah, a little bit a little bit more like Arizona it can't be any worse right can't get any yep. worse because so I, I know from capping man the over unders in Texas in in the heat there it just man it's nuts it was nutty and it, it, you know what. Home runs are fun, but to me, that's not as much fun. I don't like wacky ball. You know, I'd like a little yep. integrity to the game. So if any of these guys are, which is kind of weird now, we're talking about guys that are already going at a discount that are also heading into a, a nice contextual bump, basically for half of their innings pitched, which is tremendous. Mm-hmm. So, like, man, I, I'm kind of selling myself further and further on these Rangers, mm-hmm. mostly because of the price. You know, Lynn, Lynn, I think he's very fairly priced around 130 and the guys he's going around, you know, it probably depends on roster construction. I know that's like a lawyer kind of cop I'd answer, but I would definitely take him over Matt. Bum. I'm not interested there. Uh, I probably have, would have to dive a little deeper before I took him over Freed. But it's probably, like I said, a roster construction thing. If you're going to go with Lazardo, listen, Lazardo's got some real beautiful shine to that profile and skill set. But it's hard to compare Lynn, who's done it and has a pretty good pathway to doing it again, to a guy that... Listen, unfortunately for you, Lazardo guys, and I was one of them, he certainly has a sure way to only giving you 50 innings, I think. Yep. It's a little scary. Like reports came out today that there's no like immediate limitations, but you gotta imagine 120, 130 innings is yeah, the max. <laughs> Bubba, you make the best dude. It's so funny that anybody took that as they no limits. Yeah. They're going 240 innings. I can't believe it. Yeah. All they're saying is they are not saying it's 100 innings. They're going to gauge it. Listen, exactly. I actually like this kind of announcement because what I'm hoping the parentheses are, what I should say is what I'm hoping is in the parentheses is in the event that we're contending, we're not going to be the Washington Nationals and yep. shelf our awesome rookie pitcher, you know, mm-hmm. to, and, and blow a chance at the championship because we're trying to save him. You know, exactly. so it's not the case where Lazardo is near, you know, let's say a buck 30 or something and they're competing and they still need him and they start to push him. I think that's great. The flip side, the flip flop side of that, besides me slam, slammering, is mm-hmm. 
if he gets near that 135 uh, inning limit and the A's kind of fell off a cliff, I, I like him a lot. I think you do also. Yep. But again, with that starting pitching, there's a pathway where they are not competing, right? A couple, yep. let's say Olsen goes down and all of a sudden it's like, uh-oh, now they might be in trouble, right? Simeon uh, turns back into a pumpkin and all of a sudden the o- Oakland's looking up at the rest of the division. Don't expect Lazaro to get pushed is where I'm going in a very elliptical 100%. Way. 100%. That's, that's the tricky part there. Uh, let's talk Shane Bieber. We've, we've beat around the bush here. We talked about the, the contact skills, all that good stuff. Going to pick 26. Where do you stand on him? Because we talked about him a lot, but where do you stand? Listen, I mean, I, I, when I first came into this season, I was like fully expecting him to be my choice um, in that second top tier, right? You know, not the, not the cold, the Grom, and possibly even Verlander, but that next one where I always like to get my first starting pitcher generally. Um, and going into the season, like I said, I, I thought he was going to be the one to kind of stand out. And when I pulled the threads, you know, specifically comparing him to the other guys I'm considering, namely Walker Bueller and Mike Clevenger, I have found Bieber is firmly in third behind those two guys. And to the point, I probably even expand a bit more if my guys Bueller and Clevenger are gone in that like second round in a deeper format, I'm skipping Bieber and looking at like a Snell first you know, or even like a Patrick Corbin and then maybe trying to get another guy like a Paddock as a really good number two. But where, where I, what I thought I loved about Bieber with all the big Ks and that awesome walk rate, man, just, you know, all the expected stats are higher. And, you know, that's not the end of the world, but it's also not great. You know, the the X slug was like 35 points higher than slug. X wall was 20 points higher. Um, you know, again, he's another guy that although his fly ball rate is acceptable at 35.2, his fly ball line drive miles per hour, nearly 94 miles an hour, is near the bottom. He gets hit hard, which we covered, but he also gets hit hard with lift. You know, it's not, it's really not a good thing. The 8.7 barrels per batted ball of it is really weak. You know, I know that's another contact thing, and I don't mean to be piling on the guy, if you want to get some positives, like I said, the walk rate is great, although the expected walk rate pretends a spike next year, even though I wouldn't be shocked that that doesn't happen because he's always been an elite control guy. So if you want to hang your hat on that, I think you got that. You know, the Indians' bullpen got a huge boost, right? Classe and, uh, man, there's another one, Karinchik, right? Yes, that they're going to be watching down doors with, with hand. If they, you know, And Bieber goes deep. The whip is good. So listen, I'm not trying to, you know, shoot the guy down. I just, you know, if I want to say something nice, I would take him above Strasburg. You know, I definitely take him above Strasburg, and I probably take him above. Man, I have him like tied with Flaherty. Him and Flaherty is nose to nose. You know. Yeah, Flaherty is another one that's got quite uh, controversial out there as of late. People were all about him, and now people are trying to poke poke holes in his his wall as well. But well, I'm don't with you think, on... let, me, let me ask you because you're asking me all these questions. Don't you think? He, I, it, it's probably, well, not just a recency thing in the micro sense where we're talking about Flaherty's particular second half, but now I want to zoom out a little bit. And I think it might be a macro recency bias. Think back one season to Zach Wheeler and Herman Marquez. They put up otherworldly second halves that were so incredible that some people couldn't help but say, this guy is now permanently awesome. 
Yeah, no, that and that's that's what it is. is. And I think that might be scaring people, which is totally funny because I loved Flaherty last year. I had all the Flaherty. And as, man, I thought I made the mistake of a lifetime. And then July happened, you know, that's and yeah. he looked like Saw Young out there. So the answer, right, probably lies somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I'm 100% with you. That That's the thing with, with Bieber, Flaherty, these young arms. It's kind of a – People are we're all about these young pitchers before, like you mentioned, Wheeler and company. And now it's almost like there's kind of a you know side effect to this. Are we a little PTSD? Are we concerned with how this turns out the second time around? Every pitcher is different, and these guys are super talented. I guess for me is when I'm drafting this high up in the draft, I like some of my stability that I'm seeing with guys. Still Snell's young and, and has some issues. Clevenger the same, but at the same time, I like what I'm seeing. They put together more of a consistent body of work of late compared to the roller coaster ride that like Flaherty did to you last year. So that's kind of where I sit when it, when it's pitching. Or a lot of the times I just don't take pitching early, so I don't end up with these guys. Yeah, it's that, kind of a co- combo yeah. effect. You you really touched on what what I meant to really finish with is that as much as I can say that I like Bieber, having pointed out these you know these red flags. They just disclude him from going at that price for me. You know, it's not like I don't like him. It's not like I don't think he'd be awesome. If you happen to get him late, you absolutely keep him. You know what I mean? Like, so it's always a gray area. It's not like a love-hate thing. I don't mm-hmm. just strictly hate him. But where he's going, you touched on the C word for me, certainty. I think there's a lot more certainty in the offense at that point. And I think I can find his profile later. A little bit. Agree. Not much later. I'm not. I don't think you could replace Shane Bieber with a 20th round guy, but I think I could probably get it in a third round guy with Corbin. Yes. Oh yeah. Big time. I I I would be gambling on Corbin instead. Big time. Yeah. Because so, uh, apples, apples, I probably take Corbin, and the reason I say that is because in the places I've passed on Bieber, Corbin is a guy that's kind of. I guess he's at the back end of that like one A kind of tier, right? He's getting slotted mm-hmm. in behind. Snell and like you know, I would take him over Kershaw too. So you can have your Kershaw, you know. And so it's guy. I guess I probably lump Kershaw with Bieber too. That guys I really like, and I think they're gonna be really good for you. I'm having trouble getting to that price point. Yeah, for me, like a, a comparison to Bieber up there, and maybe I'm off. Is like Luis Castillo. Both guys that you know, Castillo's more of a change up, control issues from time to time, walks too many guys. Where Bieber doesn't walk guys, but at the same time. Castillo, I can see blowing guys away. It's kind of it's a weird dynamic, but I I, I have question marks on both of them. It's kind of yeah, what well, I'm getting I mean, at. You you picked the <laughs> you you picked the wrong guy because I'm I'm like the biggest Castillo fan. I just have oh I everywhere. I would have Castillo over Bieber in my everywhere. Um, yeah, Castillo and, over Bieber for me, but yeah, I think that's a comparison. I might I might take Castillo apples to apples when we're factoring mm-hmm. you know in a in a discrepancy in draft price. Mm-hmm. For me, it's like it's a total slam dunk. You figure Castillo is going like 40 and Bieber is going at 26. So mm-hmm. even in the strictest leagues, 15, you know, that's a full round. I will mm-hmm. take whatever hitter I can get in Bieber's place and then Castillo all day. No doubt about it. A couple more quickies here. Uh, Kyle Hendricks, we talked about him. He's never like a sexy pick for people, but when you just look at it year after year, low ERA, he just doesn't strike out a lot of guys. I think that's what kind of the bugaboo is. But he puts up innings, 30-plus starts over and over. He's just super consistent and good and a great fit for your team if you're taking chances somewhere else. Um, and, he, and he came out pretty positive on some of your leaderboards. So what do you talk uh, see in Kyle Hendricks? 
Well, I think it's funny, and I like I actually like to be able to, to vocalize this to people. And I think a lot of players, and I'm not no I'm not gonna point at any analysts or anything or individuals, but I think players, and maybe this would be a lesson to a lot of players, don't go into a player analysis like hoping for anything. You know, mm-hmm. so it's not I didn't break down Hendricks because I, I wanted to like, you know, I wanted to like him or know that I liked him. I want to break down Hendricks because I'm trying to figure out why I keep missing this guy. Every <laughs> single year, I'm like, this guy is vanilla ice cream. He's It's not my cup of tea. I like strikeout guys. He's not for me. And every year, he returns value. And every year, he's to be found in winning on winning teams, right? Tim, teams that win fantasy championships, yes, they have those huge upside guys. But the guys you don't see is that they have, you know, Hendricks at, at the three. And – you hit on a great point, Papa. Probably the most important point when um, deciding on pitchers, particularly guys that have you know the reputation for being kind of vanilla. Um, he's safe, right? So uh, not to pick up Lazardo. The only reason I pick Lazardo again is he, at the top of my head, you know, he's a guy that comes with a lot of risk. Um, maybe right. Who else is there? There's uh, Montas. How about Lance McCullers Jr. Mm-hmm. Right? There's a couple. There's a, seems like there's a lot of guys this year with these tremendous ceilings. I mean, absolutely, they have ceilings that are league winning. But you can't have too many of them. And even if you do have just a couple of them, it probably makes sense to try and mitigate some of that risk with guys like Hendrickson. You know, what I'm getting at is his stats don't necessarily jump off the page, but they are consistently in the top 20 or 15 percentile. And if a guy can give you that, across the different phases of his game. Like I said, for pitchers, I like to get into three major baskets, earned run, discipline, and batted balls. So let's look at the first one. Right at the bat, you know he's a sub-four ERA guy consistently. His fit always backs it up. They're both like near the 85th percentile. He always got a very good whip. Last year was 1.13. You know, his OPS, which I love on offense, it's also a stat I love on the pitching end, and I don't feel like people use it enough. So he had a sub-700 OPS allowed. That's fantastic. You know, that is the bottom of the lineup hitter for every single guy you faced on average. The discipline's always very good, but I'd like to point out a couple trends that I like. So this is not even like, you know, a guy that has not been even improving on his vanilla. Hey, maybe this is vanilla that's starting to get a little bit of like praline sprinkled in there. Maybe like a little (laughs) parallel swirl, something delicious like that, some cookie dough. You know, the O swing, which is something I always look at, you know, if if he's inducing chasing. It was 31.5% two years ago, went up to 33, it went up to 35. Steady, steady increase. Got to love that. At the same time, and this is probably a key to that success, the O contact rate, has dropped from 74, 72 and a half to 70 and a half, down to 68 and a half. So while we've had his ability to get people to swing more often, he's also lowering that contact rate. His first strike rate has increased steadily over three years from 63 to 66, as has the swinging strike rate from a kind of black 8.3. We went to 9.2. Now we're getting to a palatable 10.3. You know, it's really not nearly as bad as you thought it might be with an increasing walk percentage from seven down to five and a half, down to four and a half. Another increasing trend of like some of the most crucial stats. If you're a stat cast guy, let's get into the batted ball data. You know, uh, sub 300 x woba. I said this before. I say it again. I'm using 300. That is the mark for pitching. If you could keep an opponent to a sub 300 X Woba, this is somebody to, you know, earmark, bookmark, and get on your list. 
sub 34% fan graphs hard hit, 31% stat cast hard hit, right, Bubba? We talked about the difference yep. in accounting. If we're going to value stat cast higher, the fact that he has a 10% better rate for stat cast is a great thing. His average miles per hour is only 85, five and a half barrels per BBE, 4% barrels per PA. I mean, basically, across all three phases of his profile, short of maybe strikeout rate, in which case I even provided a possibility for some uptick. I think I just gave you what seems like, I don't know, like a perfect pick where he's going. Mm-hmm. I actually think now he's going way too low. He didn't just go from a guy that I, I was like, I was bland on and indifferent. Now, not only am I indifferent, I'm kind of different and I'm, I'm mm-hmm. ready to leave. You know what? I think he's a guy who can really, really help a squad, particularly like you said, with ratios and innings pitch. Yeah, I love it about him because he, he might not be the big strikeout guy that people want, but the ratios are tremendous because a lot of those big strikeout guys, they're going to come with some baggage where they give up the long ball from time to time, and they're going to have those balloon starts. So I think Hendricks, very, very uh, key player to a balanced uh, roster in your roster construction. You know, he's going right around Sean Benaya, Lance McCullers, Matt Boyd, who ERA goes through the roof at times. Hendricks is a guy that just kind of quietly does his thing, and I like quite a bit. And he's also going a whopping one sixty five. He's going one sixty. Okay, yeah, one sixty five right now. Now, um, let, let me ask you another question. So, I like to look at guys like this, similar to my favorite stats in pairs, right? Because you you pointed out you make an excellent point. You need strikeouts. Strikeouts win fantasy leagues. Who would you say is the perfect pair for Hendricks up top? I was I've been making the case to people that if you drafted Chris Sale, mm-hmm. you should make sure you come down with Kyle Hendricks. That's a phenomenal one. Yes, that's a good one. Um, I would say a guy like a Giolito or a Chris Paddock could give you a nice base with a uh, with a, a Hendricks behind it. Maybe even a Luis Severino would be someone to look into. Wow, let me tell you, with Severino, if the two of those hit properly, you're off to the races because. Yep. All your rate your ratios are going to be beautiful, and Severino's going to get your K's also. Yep. But I was thinking oh. Sale because, like, right, he's probably um I don't want the word risky is so overused. But what if I said he has the widest range of outcomes? Agreed. Because Sale showed us he could be like a six ERA guy and only go mm-hmm. three and a third, or he has a literal ceiling of not only SP one but player one overall. You know. Totally agree, and he's he's always that guy. You know, you look go back to your start. Um, he only had four money starts last year and only five quality start pluses, which I know he's banged up from time to time. When you think Chris Sale only get nine of those kind of starts, that's kind of surprising to some. So yeah, it's, you know, it's concerning. He was very wild, man. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Um, yeah, it was. It, it was killing me. I couldn't believe. Uh, I just couldn't believe how bad he could be. Now, if I'm going to stick a narrative to it, I don't know if you remember. They decided to mess around with his training program, right? He stuck, yep. or he had, he, he had like a, a, a ghost injury, and then it was an injury that wasn't an injury that I thought was just fake news. Then all of a sudden, they implemented a new program. This year, he's saying that they've totally discarded that cockamamie for Game Z program. So I don't know that that's enough. You know what I mean? Like a, a coach's word and 275 gets on the bus, but maybe <laughs> yeah. something right. If, if he said he's healthy and he's going to be going back to his old regimen, I mean, if this guy. Let me ask you this. If Chris Sale goes out and starts pumping, you know, 98 miles an hour in his first spring training start, do you think he gets up there? All of a sudden you're talking about Bieber versus Sale. 
you know, sale jumping those 10 spots. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I'm already preparing for the fact if, if sales healthy and ready to rock and roll, I, I am uh, I am ready to go with him. I think he's going to be uh, up there in that top upper echelon area after, like, the big four or five. Yes. So you really like him as an SP2, let's say, right? Yes. Or if you don't get one of the big guys and you want to come back and – you know, mid to late second round, you want an ace possibility. I don't mind sale at all. Right. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, last guy we're going to talk about here. We said Hendricks going to pick 165, going at pick, um, where did he go? At 135. So 30 picks earlier is the darling of the season, Danellison Lamette. And I will flat out say, I will not be owning Danellison Lamette at this price point. What do you, th- what are your thoughts on Danellison Lamette? I mean, it's unfortunately it's probably the same, and again, it's uh, a lot of the same. It's not, it's not for not liking him, you know. It's not for not loving uh, the strikeout possibilities. It's just I feel he's this year's helium pitcher. Unfortunately for me, you know, and this is a guy I've been tracking for a while, and I kind of stuck with him through the injuries. So it's particularly you know disconcerting for me on a year where he's got the bill of health and he has the role from opening day. So this is a guy that. I, I, you know, you think I'd be super excited about, I just can't really get behind, you know, uh, the price. And it's really like a durability thing for me. You know, he just doesn't really, he just doesn't really give you that. And then even if he did give you the durability, so like, even if I told you that innings will be there, you know, which they, you know, again, which they, they just really haven't, not, not just on a micro level, on a macro level in a season, but also on a micro level within games, you know, it was a little wild. You figure he went for 73 innings last year. He missed all of 18, did 114 the year before. I don't know. Uh, man, uh, I'm looking at the projection systems here, and they, all of the major projection systems, have him at least doubling his innings pitch from last year. Usually teams try and keep guys within 20 to 30% increase, not a 100% increase. Yeah. So I'm not sure I'm in line with the innings pitch there. Let's say these, you know, the people at Steamer are dead balls, correct, and they do get it there. Those innings just don't even translate to that much because he just doesn't get into or past the sixth inning. You know, he's he's way too wild, right? He carries a he carries a high whip. Um, it was one and a quarter last year. ERA over four and a half. XFIP over four. Um, I do like that he's increased his ground ball rate year over year uh, significantly, which is a, always a good thing, especially, you know, for anybody this day and age in the in the, uh, the bouncy ball era. Um, the discipline on this – it's funny. He's he's the tale of, of, of two guys, you know, and if you ever listen to Yankee broadcasts, uh, Michael Kay would say that Denelson Lamette is the little girl with the curl because he's either really, really good or he's really, really bad. You know, the K percentage rates are amazing. They're off the charts, 33 and a half last year. Listen, there are some people that never see that ever in a month, let alone, uh, you know, even a shortened season. But that walk rate, man, the walk rate's always too high. It's always at 10%. That is is worrisome for me. You know, though, you know, he's a young guy. He throws too many pitches. You're putting too many guys on. Plus, if I can tack on some narrative uh, stain, I guess, for him, Padres are going out of their way to stack up that bullpen. They're telling me they know they don't have the distance there. So if you're in like a quality start league particularly or points, Lamette is not really the guy for me. 
you know, as much as I like the stat cast page, and the hard hit rates are all good, below 36. His soft percent rate is good, over 19%. You know, he, he limits hard contact. So he's got a, a high strikeout possibility with the limitation for hard contact. So the question is going to be whether or not that disciplinary basket is going to be enough to drag him down. And and that's my major beef with him, really. I'd love to get behind him, but where he's going, uh, man, it's funny, is before the guys we were talking about before, Bubba. So, yep. you know, you have to take Lamette two rounds before you take Lynn or Zach Gallen or Max Freed. The yep. reason I name those guys is I think I like all three of those guys more than I like Lamette. Yep. Sorry to all the lovers out there. You know, I, I guess I don't dislike him. I just dislike the price, and I'm seeing a minimum pick of 77. Get out of here with that, man! You're, you're not you're not out on the market with that one. You're just foolish in my mind. Sorry. Yeah, I'm 100 percent with you. you. You nailed it all. It's just you know the stuff's nice and all. He still walks a few too many guys for my liking, but he strikes out a run, which is great. But I just don't know how many innings he's going to get, how long in the games he's going to go. Uh, there's just so many question marks with him, and it goes back to the, like, the Bieber situation. I'd rather have Gallant, Erod, Freed, Lynn, all these guys going after him. I'll sit and wait yeah, on I'm that. Like, as you were saying that, I'm like, yes, 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 yeah. yes. So, that, listen, yeah. that, you know, that's the way you have to do your own drafting, right? And use your own mm-hmm. process. Hey, would I take him before him? Come on, man. The, the, all Every one of those names that you listed I think is better. I mean, yep. if you wanted to push back on Gallon for experience, maybe. But to think that we're comparing Lance Lynn to Nelson Lamette, and that they have a 25-pick a difference, to me, is a market inefficiency, and I'm going to end up with a win in that case. Yeah, 100%. Uh, last thing I got here, it's a listener question from Baseball Pods, at Baseball Pods on Twitter. Uh, you can oh, just I give love a... what he's doing, by the way. Yeah, Man, it's pretty I love cool. what he's doing. It's such a great idea. It is pretty cool. So hopefully we give him a good answer here. Um, just who are a couple of the popular pitchers and hitters that you're noticing from the metrics that uh, have come out so far that aren't the price. Well, man, I think we probably hit on most of them. Probably, yeah, I think we probably, man, I think we probably touched on all of them. You know, my my, if it's if it's giving anything to us, um, you know, the guys to avoid probably the the, the two we mentioned on right. It's uh, Heaney and Bieber kind of got dinged, kind of got dinged on these a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, I think I probably I think I probably stick to that. Um, then, uh, well, you know what? Let me, let me, let me, let me circle back and just backpedal just a bit. Maybe we can add a few guys. Again, like we said, Bubba, which again, me and you were in total lockstep on this. Um, don't overuse any of these things. You know, yeah. um, remember, and I've been trying to say this in every podcast I do. With the inception of Statcast data, which is wonderful, has come its subsequent overuse. All right, so add the new tool. But don't overuse it. You don't want to be that person in the famous adage, right? When your only tool is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. You know, so you <laughs> don't want to. You don't want to be. You don't want to be that person. But I would say I have a lot of confidence in this metric. I think it's very solid. I believe it's applicable for everybody. So that being said, this shines a light for me. I'm going to look at some guys that maybe they're not top end guys to avoid, but lower end guys that I've noticed have gotten some heat. Um, Bub, it's on your San Francisco Giants. Tyler Beatty from yeah. this list looks like a contact disaster. And he has gotten quite a bit of shine. I know he's on a lot of sleeper lists. I haven't done a deep dive, so I'm not going to 
demean or discount that argument because I haven't heard it myself. But I would say this is probably worrisome. So before I jumped on the Tyler Beatty train, um, I know his contact profile has at least one major red flag. No, 100% with you. And that's one guy I would love to be able to kind of break it down, say, the last month of the year or something when he made a few tweaks. But overall, it was a rocky road for Tyler Beatty. There's no hiding that at all. He, like you mentioned, and some of these others are definitely ones to uh, to take a second gander upon. That's for darn sure. But, uh, John, that's going to wrap us up for this episode of Bench with Bubba. It's been an absolute joy talking with you. Uh, brilliant mind, brilliant stats. And I'm looking forward to doing it again sometime. Wow, man. Thank you so much. I, I can't believe – yeah, I can't believe I was on. I'm, I'm such a huge fan <laughs> that – listen, I'm not letting you in. If you thought I was going to let you get out of here without me gushing over you for a minute, you are totally mistaken, <laughs> my friend. You have another thing coming. I'm going to do it as quick as possible. I know you got to go. I know everyone wants, everyone wants to go. What you are doing, Bubba, is awesome. What you were doing with Toby is awesome. You are an ambassador for the fantasy game. There isn't a single person I've met that I think I could pay to say something mean about you. Your <laughs> reputation preceded you because as much great stuff as I heard about you, when I actually met you, you exceeded all of that. Don't stop what you're doing and do not sell yourself short because you're beyond just a great guy. I think you're a great analyst and I love what you're doing. And I am honored, 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 honored to be a part of this. So please, everybody, get on the Twitter machine, follow me, and you know, tell me I talk too much, man. No, I love it. Uh, thank you for the kind words. I really, really do appreciate it. And everybody, check him out on Twitter, at MLB Moving Average ABG. His awesome work at The Athletic. Go check that out. And we will definitely do it again sometime, John. I appreciate it. Brian, thank you so much, man. Thank you. No problem at all, everybody. This is Bench with Bub, episode 245, talking some fantasy baseball, some awesome new metrics with MLB Moving Average. Catch you guys later. 